Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, my name is Misa Chen and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Autopilot Reviews. I'm here today with Asian Hustle Network and I'm excited to interview my friend of almost 20 years, Allison Human, a visual artist and she's really well known for designing the latest jersey of Golden State Warriors. But before that, a quick word from our sponsors. Before I started Autopilot Reviews, I actually had a food truck called Nom Nom Truck. I would be working weekends almost every day on it. And what I soon learned is that you don't get a lot of positive feedback about yourself. You only see the bad things. It's hard to get purpose. It's hard to stay motivated. Same with as a manager. When I managed everyone on the food truck, you only see the fires that you need to put out. And so when I closed the food truck, I wanted to change that world for frontline employees and managers. I decided to build a customer feedback software that would deliver positive feedback to the front line. It delivers over 95% positive feedback and so that hopefully we can live in a new world where frontline employees are cheered on and managers can see what a great job that they're doing. With Autopilot Reviews, we're gonna build that new world. It was just a couple days ago that we were catching up and we we're thinking, okay, what are we going to talk about on this episode? There's so many big things that we could talk about. You know, we could talk about all of your success, but I think that one of the coolest parts about connecting is how did you get to your success? Oftentimes it's the crises, the trauma that helps you get there. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about your art is that you are able to create some of your best work based on these really difficult experiences. And, and so can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, this is something that I've only realized recently mm -hmm. about my work. Because as an artist, I'm just painting or drawing because I feel like it, mm -hmm. you know? And I don't really think about, I'm going to make something today that helps me process trauma. Because yeah. that's not exactly Hey, this is what works. I'm going to do. <laughs> right. Maybe, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of artists who do. But for, for a lot of creative people, they just get the urge to create. And so something I have realized the, the connecting thread be behind like all of everything I've made in my life as an artist has been this need to uh, process the trauma that mm -hmm. I've dealt with. The biggest being this toxic relationship that I was in uh, a few years ago. And it's funny because I don't really like talking about this relationship too often because I feel like I may be giving it too much power mm. behind. I feel like I might be giving it too much power and saying X happened to me. So now I'm successful mm. and I don't, and I know a lot of it is me, right? I've, I've created that for myself. I've created my own success, but uh, I think that's why it's hard for me to to talk about it sometimes and say, oh, because someone treated me poorly, I, I am now this type of person, if mm. that makes any sense. So what happened, um, it was just, it was really toxic, occasionally became physical. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a lot to deal with. And I remember as creative people, we need to be constantly be making things. Mm -hmm. And there was one year where I didn't make anything. I think I made one painting total because I was so 
in my head, in that relationship, I, I was constantly trying to figure out how to make this person happy. If I had done something wrong, I was always walking on eggshells. And it was a lot, you know, and, and I felt like my body was constantly in fight or flight mode. And so I remember going to the doctor all the time mm. because like the stress was like manifesting in my body. And compared to these days when I'm working, I'm thriving. And it's because the network and the support group I have around me allow me to do that. When you have people around you that let you be yourself, it's so much easier to take care of the things you need to take care of. And of course, I mean, every woman should know you can never fix a person. Yes. And people yes, don't change unless they want to change. People don't change unless they want to change. And all that to say, this person, not only was it a toxic situation, but this person also didn't believe in me. And they were constantly belittling me. And I remember there was a point where they ripped up a painting of mine and called me a shitty artist. And that has to stick with you because this is someone, you know, this is a significant other you're looking to for support. You're looking almost for their validation and for someone to tell you that. I mean, no wonder you were only producing one painting a year while dating them. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really rough. And, um, and I always had confidence in myself and I knew that what they were saying um, was wrong because mm -hmm. I, I knew that I believed in my own talent, but yeah, when, when the person closest to you is saying those type of things to you, like those are the people that you want validating you. Yeah. I remember the day after I broke up with them, I wrote a letter to myself. So there's this website called, uh, future me. Oh, interesting. I think that's what it's called, mm -hmm. but you can write a letter to yourself in the future. Wow. So you and it gets send, sent to you. It gets sent, it gets emailed to you. So I wrote myself a letter. And I said, dear Allison, I hope you're happy. I hope you're thriving and making money and working out and traveling. <laughs> like I wrote this, a whole list of things for myself that I wanted to accomplish. And I also said, I hope you're dealing with conflict in a healthy way. And I hope you are surrounded by people that, um, that care for you and that uh, can support you. And I sent it to myself and I, I wrote this because this was my way that I was going to keep myself accountable. And when was the date that it would be sent to you? I think like six months. Oh, okay. So point. I was thought it would be many years. Yeah, okay. it was, I wanted it far enough where I can make some improvements, mm -hmm. but close enough where if I maybe fell back into old things, I could look at this note and be reminded like, oh, I need to pull myself out mm -hmm. if I was in a bad situation. So I wrote myself this letter and um, six months later when I got it, I, com I had completely forgot that I had wrote it. I was in Europe and I had taken this trip around Europe where I was finding walls to paint. Cause at that point I wasn't making murals yet. Like full time. Oh, you were just getting into that I was that just then. getting into it. So I was hopping around Europe, finding walls to paint, meeting up with Instagram friends and like, you know, like visiting galleries and just doing things that I hadn't gotten to do while I was in that relationship. Hmm. And I remember receiving that letter while I was in, I think I was in like Belgium or something. And 
And yeah, it was, it was cool because I already was feeling like I was, you know, in such a better place. That's amazing. And um, yeah, because once, once I was done with that relationship, I took that as a sign to just do everything that I was afraid to do. And painting murals was one of them. It's such a huge thing to accomplish is to paint an entire wall. Yeah. And he was always someone that told me I couldn't do things or that I was, like I said, he's had a shitty artist. And um, so looking back at that, like five years later and then and beyond, like I had accomplished so much since ending that breakup or ending that relationship. I had done product collaborations with I, I mean, honestly, I can't even like think about. I can't like, even remember. Loyal, yeah, so many. Sony Music. Um, shoot, I don't. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, and then I've like designed like album covers, and I've painted in music videos for Usher, and like painted for Ava DuVernay's uh, building, and worked with Steph Curry, and. I don't know, like, it's just like... And I feel like, though, none of these things would have been possible. I almost, sometimes I feel like going through that, you need to almost go and walk through fire to get to that oh. finish line. It's never going to be perfect. Yeah. And also, I, I do identify with what you say about the toxic relationship. Like, from day one, it's never toxic. It, like, slowly gets there. And mm -hmm. before you know it, you're in a place where you don't even recognize mm -hmm. yourself anymore. Mm -hmm. Because boundaries are constantly being crossed. Yes. And being a, in a codependent relationship, there are no boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so things get muddy and all of a sudden things that weren't, um, things that you thought you would never do, you end up doing because there are, there's, there is no more line. You've crossed the line uh, times a thousand. So there's no line. Well, I, I said this with some previous interviews, it's kind of like your journey is hindsight 2020. So like now you see where it was heading and, and what happened, but when you're in the middle of it, I mean, especially if you love the other person, I really had this happen with a past co-founder relationship, which is similar to a romantic relationship. It's just like, if you love someone else, you kind of want to ignore all the bad things, even if it's toxic, even if it's actually worse that you're in that relationship, mm -hmm. because you want to make it work so badly Absolutely. and you want that support so badly. And like, what advice would you have to other people who might be in the middle of a toxic relationship right now, whether it's co-founder or romantic relationship, what advice do you have for them? Like, Hopefully they also Cut won't get off. to that point. Cut it off. <sighs> you can. It's really hard to say that to like married people who are like. Oh what, gosh. When they're fully in when it. They're yeah. fully in it. But if you are in say a co-founder relationship, maybe buy that person out. Mm -hmm. Like just try to, because, you know, I spoke with a therapist, um, and this person, uh, focused on narcissistic abuse mm -hmm. and they said, like no contact, like absolutely no contact. Oh, like and don't stay in touch with them after you break after up with them all, or? Like, yeah, like okay. zero contact. And that was the part that was hard. Another thing that we talked about is just how great you are at integrating trauma or, or big life changes into your work. We were talking about how hard postpartum is, you know, after giving birth. You have two kids, I have two kids. We're on the same boat right yeah, now. I, mean, I have a five month old, so. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm in it, um, I'm deep in it. 
And yeah, with my first, I, I was dealing with a lot of like postpartum issues because it's such a huge change, you know, becoming a mother. Mm -hmm. And as an artist, I was constantly traveling and I was going, I was leaving home at least like twice a month mm -hmm. to paint somewhere new. And now I had this little person tying me down at home and it was just a lot. It was a lot to deal with. And, um, I had a lot of resentment, I think, uh, it's a hard transition. The yeah. same thing happened to me. All of a sudden you can't do what you did before. Right. Right. And so I was looking forward to getting back to work, getting childcare, getting back into the studio and painting again. So by month six and seven, I was going to be flying to a few different places. I had projects lined up, but by month seven, when I was right about to leave maternity, maternity leave, we're self-employed. So there's really no, <laughs> yeah. you go back to work a month <laughs> yeah. after, <laughs> but month seven was going to be the month that I was going to get back to work. And that's when the pandemic happened and mm. everything got shut down. We were locked in our homes and I was like, holy crap, I couldn't leave. I've been stuck at home this whole time and now I got to do it for, at first they said two weeks. Oh my gosh, that was <laughs> like, such a lie. Let me just say it. <laughs> that was so unrealistic. Yeah. Just two weeks, you guys. And yeah, and it was, it was not two weeks. It was two years or more. Um, and so I, I had to stay home again. And on top of that, we lost childcare because we were trying to protect everyone and our nanny was elderly mm. and you know, the elderly were the most vulnerable. And so it was me with this baby. And I felt like, I felt like my body was no longer mine. Yeah, you definitely feel that postpartum. Yeah. All of a sudden you feel and like a so cow almost. I, I remember like feeling deeply depressed and I couldn't pinpoint whether it was postpartum or whether it was like regular lockdown depression mm. <laughs> or both. It was probably both because at the same time it was like what's going on in the world. And then, and then the George Floyd thing happened and then, and everything else, you know, and the, the uh, January 6th and all these things were just happening while we were at home in this little bubble and we were just looking at what was happening on the outside by like watching. And then you don't screens. have much of a support network because everyone's remote. Yeah. And so it's really hard. You don't it was see really many hard. people. And so you weren't connecting with people in person. And so as a way to process this trauma, I, well, and I don't, not even that. It's not, I wasn't doing it to process the trauma. It was it just naturally happened. Naturally trying to create stuff while locked down. Mm -hmm. I came up with the idea of maybe I should, when we're back to being in person again, what if I created this in-person event, like an immersive mm. experience uh, and, um, and have that speak to the experience we had psychologically during our time at home. And everyone identifies with that. Everyone I mean, everyone had to deal with that. that. And so after we were in uh, this lockdown period for two years, I premiered Homebody in Berkeley at this 20,000 square foot space um, in Berkeley. And, um, and 
I use the space as a way to tell the story of, yeah, all the, all the things that we've been through. So it starts in this living room and we made, we made this living room look like someone's apartment during the pandemic. Hmm. And you walk through the fireplace because you're literally walking through the fire. Wow. And it takes you to, through this tunnel because we all had this tunnel vision of, you know, protecting ourselves and staying home. And, um, and it was all very isolating. And so there were different little installations and rooms throughout this exhibit that just explored like what, what we felt like. Because I didn't really want to make a show about, about like COVID because that wasn't really the point, but it was more about how does this change the way we see ourselves when we're staying at home for so long? Because now that we can't be out in the world, we have to sit with ourselves and our problems and, and like, and just be with ourselves. And for a lot of people, that's, that's not easy. It was really tough. I think for a lot of people, especially the extroverts out there mm. and everyone has a pandemic story. I mean, everyone. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of people where, you know, like, like relationship dynamics had changed, mm -hmm. you know, partners that were used to not being around each other all the time. were now in one room together all the time. A lot of divorces happened mm -hmm. and people lost their jobs. And I know a lot of creatives felt like they weren't essential mm -hmm. because, you know, we were all, we were, all, we were always talking about our essential workers and I'm thinking I'm not essential. The first thing to go is art and entertainment. You know, and and that was something that I had to grapple with was, what do I do if I? What do you bring to the world? What do I What's bring to the purpose? world if it's if now my art doesn't really have any context context anywhere? And so that's what Homebody was about was really diving into that, like our mind state and and where it went in different phases of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so one room was actually full of screens because I wanted to almost create like a, a zoom phone call, but like wow. a huge room. And, and so these faces, these like AI generated faces, like appeared on like each screen Amazing. and stuff. And, um, it was a lot and I wish you could have been there. I know yeah. I would just give him birth. So I I we both have our own birth stories, but um, I think one of the most amazing things, I didn't realize you did this, like you basically reinvested in yourself and building that show mm -hmm. to kind of create a new avenue for yeah. yourself in art. And I love that. So during, during the pandemic, all the galleries were closed and people weren't flying. And so I couldn't travel for work and I couldn't show my artwork in galleries. So like, where's my income gonna come from? I do get income from like licensing my art, but that's, it's just part of the pie, mm -hmm. you know? And so I was rethinking like the models of creating art mm -hmm. because I give a big commission to the galleries when I sell a painting, but I felt like that wasn't really like sustainable for me. But I did think about, well, what if I could create experiences then because mm. not everyone can afford a painting. Not everyone can afford an original piece of art, but someone will buy a ticket to yes. experience something that's for amazing. a short amount of time. And so that's also where the, the idea for homebody came from. And so when I got this gig with the golden state warriors, I, they asked me to design the city edition jerseys, uh, for, for the season. And, um, I mean, that in itself was like 
pretty Yeah, what was that moment? I mean, when you discovered that, wait, I remember, weren't you giving birth? And then you were like looking at your phone. You're like, oh, Steph Curry messaged me. And then, and then Cyrus, your husband, he, he was like, no, you're, you're hallucinating because you're about to give birth. And you're like, no, he did. And wasn't that like one of the first times you guys connected? Yeah. The first time. I love that story. (laughs) That's such an Allison story. Me and Steph Curry. Well, we actually met in person because. Oh, you had met in person before that? Okay. Because I was painting a mural for the Warriors. At the okay, Boys so that's when Club. kind of that that partnership with the Warriors began. Yeah, yeah. So at the Boys and Girls Club, we started, and uh, I met him in person. We had mutual friends, mm-hmm. and so he ended up following me on Instagram. But you know, I mean, he's still Steph Curry. We're yeah, not you're like he's not. Yeah, you're not like hanging out every weekend. Yeah, right. And so you know, we added each other and didn't like didn't speak again. And and then I remember I was about to give birth to my first. <laughs> I love this story. And I was on all the drugs. I was on all the drugs. Give and me then, the drugs. Yeah, but like there's nothing else to do in that in that hospital room except yeah, for like just wait. Phone. Yeah. So I'm just like So you're about to give birth but you're still kind of yeah. working. But I feel like contra- I feel like contractions and I'm on drugs. <laughs> and but I'm bored. So I'm just like going through Instagram and then and then I'm like, oh crap, I just got a DM from Steph Curry. <laughs> and my husband's like, wait, what? What? Let me see. And he's like, oh my God. Because I thought, like, oh, I must be like, like hallucinating. Yeah, because you're literally about to give birth. DMs. And he and Cyrus is like, no, 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 that's him. <laughs> and so he asked me, he was trying to commission me to do a piece for him mm-hmm. and Aisha's anniversary. And and then I remember, because, like, he wanted it, like, in the next week. Well, obviously, I couldn't do it. But, <laughs> but then I start typing. And so I was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, you are so, like, loopy right now. Don't, like, respond to Who him. knows what you have written about. <laughs> and so I think I, like, left Steph on red for, like, a few days. And I was like, oh, okay. Hey, is- that's forgivable. You were out looking for But, yeah, that was, that was nuts. But, yeah, that kind of started... Um, our like I guess uh like collaboration relationship so that didn't end up working out but then he ended up uh suggesting me to Under Armour to design the first shoe on his current amazing brand. yeah so that amazing. was that was pretty cool that he still threw me a bone even though like, <laughs> even though you had to give birth and you yeah. weren't able to complete that project <laughs> sorry to push out a baby sorry um and then what was it like I just love I want to revisit this story we talked about seeing your jersey out there with the Golden State Warriors seeing other people wear it on the street seeing the inspiration it's created could you talk a little bit about that story yeah it's I mean it's been pretty amazing I so the theme of the jersey is uh women's empowerment and I think it's really bold of the Warriors to do something like that because they don't have to have a theme around women or anything like that. I mean, obviously the players are male, and they what they what they were trying to do with that was to lift up the women in their community. They do a lot in terms of outreach for um, girl athletes and and young women, and so um, that's what the jersey was for. And um, the the reception's been polarizing. There will always be haters. Yeah. We talked about this. There's always there, gonna be haters. Yeah, people hated it. 
people are like, why is there a flower on this jersey? And then other people, they loved it. But I mean, it was for the women. I mean, there's so many Warriors fans who are women and I know that they loved it. Mm -hmm. And I was getting feedback from all sorts of women, women who um, played basketball when they were younger and they could never imagine that the Warriors would like do something like that. Uh, but the biggest thing for me was witnessing at the Chase Center, I was there for the first night for um, the City Edition uniforms when they were gonna wear wow. it for the first time. I was right outside of the Warriors shop and these two boys, they had to be like 14 years old, they came out with their bags. They had just bought the City Edition jerseys and they took off their t-shirts right there oh. and threw on the jerseys. I'm like tearing and, up. <laughs> and like gave each other a high five. Oh. And I was like, am I, is this a- The impact that you have on people, that your art yeah. has on people. I thought I was watching a commercial. Yeah. Like, who planted these guys here? Amazing. It was, and it was cool because my whole family, we were all watching this moment together of these boys just right in front of us just like so stoked on these jerseys and they were telling each other you look good you look oh, good and, and imagine for how many tens of thousands of people right, right. are so doing now that it's, it's just nuts like seeing it everywhere like seeing it on tv um it just doesn't get old and i was walking to get coffee the other day i passed by a nail shop and this girl was wearing my design on her sweatshirt just like getting her nails done and then mm -hmm. i walk past her and then someone in front of the coffee wow. shop was wearing like the hat with the same the same uh design and it's it's nuts it's just like seeing it everywhere i love that gosh that must just be so fulfilling to see how how much of a positive impact yeah, that art can have really on the world cool that your that, work like, can have on the world people are living with it and it's part of like their daily life like they they see it they wear it they it's cool it's something that i didn't really think about before um because usually because like when i first started all of this i just always thought i'm just gonna make pretty pictures or i'm gonna make paintings mm -hmm. and uh, i never really imagined my work just like living in people's lives that way until I started making murals. And then mm. I realized this is part of the landscape now. People like- Yeah, this is permanently this a is part permanent. of what people, people see. People like catch my murals on their commutes or outside of their window if they live in an apartment or something or, you know, and, and uh, it becomes like close to them. And so I, I've experienced people getting upset when like my murals get painted over mm. or their, their other favorite artists' murals getting painted over because they're like, what are you going to do with that? You know, that's people feel ownership mm -hmm. uh, once it's like in their community and they've lived with it. And, you know, we, we talked about this one subject. This brings me to the idea of imposter syndrome. That was a topic mm. that we had on one of the last conferences that we had lined together and did a fireside chat on. Um, could we talk a little bit about that? Like, do you still experience that despite all this success and like feeling like you aren't just the, the attention that you're getting is not deserved and, and that, um, it's not because of your own efforts. It's so funny you say that now because oh, wait, it's coming up again ever since we spoke or well, no, well, it's funny because I've, I've had imposter syndrome for so long. Mm -hmm. Like you just kind of get used. It's like the little yeah, shadow that yeah, you have almost. I just, I, especially being in like the street art scene, uh, which is very male dominated, it, it was a lot to deal with um, thinking, oh, I don't belong in these spaces and people are gonna figure out that I don't belong here. And so I would feel that a lot, but, and I say, it's funny you mention that because these days, 
I feel like I've worked so hard, especially mm-hmm. in the last five years. So now, like, I want to say I don't feel the imposter syndrome anymore. But now, for me, it's like it's about damn time you guys are seeing my. <laughs> all this hard work I put into it you guys better be (laughs) because like I could be cocky too and I could yeah you you can flip it you can can flip flip it it the other way I think that's the thing about being an artist or even just like an entrepreneur is having these moments of I'm killing it right now Mm -hmm. and like hell yeah and like just that cockiness like aggressiveness and then at other times it's like what the hell am I doing like Mm. oh my god I hope no one sees this and and you know, people are gonna figure me out. I don't know, it's this weird dichotomy that I'm constantly feeling like back and forth with. Um, I think it's just natural to artists to feel this like, I don't know. I mean, cause as an artist, I feel like you have to have a little bit of like ego, right? Like mm-hmm. to create something and be like, look at the thing I made. <laughs> Look, look at, at me. Look, look at me. It. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> and like, please enjoy this. And there's another part that's like, but don't say anything bad because I'm really sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, where do you think that... Wait, sorry. What? I don't oh, want to interrupt you. So I... Um, oh, wait. I, I want to talk... We never... Oh, go. Oh, wait. When you knew you go. Because oh, okay. <laughs> well, you're saying like... Uh, uh, I bet on myself or something because I think like we got kind of like sidetracked mm-hmm. but um no so I got that big warriors gig mm-hmm. and I used basically the paycheck and invested it into creating homebody so when I do these big partnerships I basically just bet on myself and put like so much it's like you put all the chips on the table like I'm gonna put it all on red and that was that production is a 20,000 square foot space and comparatively like compared to all these other big immersive experiences that you might have heard of with I don't know just think of any dead artist Mm -hmm. like Van Gogh yeah the Van Gogh one that's going around yeah they I know their budgets are in the millions to create these experiences and we managed to keep it not at a million it was very expensive still and so it was a it was a big collaborative effort, but I put in just a lot of not only my blood, sweat, and tears, but like my actual money into doing this because I wanted to create. Um, well, first I wanted to create just this project, but also I I wanted to set my art career in another direction because immersive art has always been um, really like interesting to me, and I've been into it. Before it was trendy, um, I've always just been into immersive art and and um, art and technology and like projection stuff. So yeah, like whenever I get a big project that pays really well, I just kind of throw it into other art things because that's how I afford to do the things that I really want to do. Like these nice like product collaborations are really cool. Like I've done beauty collaborations, sneaker collaborations, like jerseys, Mm -hmm. but, and they're really cool. But what I'm really passionate about is the stuff that I probably won't get paid for. So Mm. I got to put my, well, that's how it always is kind of right. Yeah. And and so how did you know that it just felt right? Like taking that big leap. Yeah. And so because I did it, like, I have gotten other like opportunities to to create installation art. And I know that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have gotten those opportunities if I hadn't 
been able to show people that I could do it in the mm-hmm. first place. People had no idea that I was even interested in that. So no one was going to give me that opportunity. I had to create it for myself. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. And where do you see it heading in the future? Where do you see that next step? Like, where would you want to be in a couple of years with that? Museums. Or you just kind of want to see, you want to see where it heads. Yeah. Hopefully museums. In museums. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, I do have a museum. Well, I'm in a group show at a museum next year. So Amazing. We're on the right path there. Awesome. Great. Well, how can people follow you? How can people find you? They can find me at my website, mm-hmm. humannature.com. Mm-hmm. And they can follow me on Instagram at human, H-U-E-M-A-N underscore. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening today. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and that's how you can find Allison. We hope to meet with you guys soon and I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.